Hey guys, it's Lavetta. And it's Miriam. And this is the Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Yes. Yes. And uh-huh. it looks like this is going to be our last episode of 2023. Burr, burr, burr. That's right. Burr, burr. Okay. <laughs> you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. I feel like time is... I feel like 2019 was yesterday still, like a little. I know. But, but yeah, I'm kind of yeah. ready for a new year, you know? Yeah. I mean, don't say that too quickly. No, no, I know. Because we kept saying, we were so excited about 2020. Mm-mm. 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 <laughs> I'm, I have no opinion about 2024. It is another yep. year and that's yep. fine. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, they've been finding aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like the world is, it might be a meteorite. That's fine. It our way. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, aren't we cheerful for the yeah, holiday happy season? Holidays. <laughs> I saw the best episode of Murdoch about meteorites and aliens. Just total uh-huh. side note. Like as you do, as one does, <laughs> as one does, it was it was epic. I loved it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I haven't started my. Uh, I I love uh, Christmas Carol. All the different iterations. Oh of my it, god! And, like I a love lot of every people, version. you know. Yeah, yeah, like our last week's episode. You know, um, Dickens. Uh, and I usually will watch every episode, you know, like DuckTales version, Patrick Stewart version, okay. George C. Wolf. Now, I set him up at Christmas Carol was my favorite. And in terms uh-huh. of like family movie night, it is. Mm-hmm. But the absolute favorite, because I want to be honest with everyone, is a Mickey's Christmas Carol. It is oh. the best. Oh, Tiny Tim, okay? Red little baby Mickey, Okay. Oh, my God. And in 27 minutes, it's over, right? Yeah. Same thing with, I mean, by the time this comes out, we will be after Christmas, but in that that weird space between Christmas and New Year's where you're like, do I have leftovers? Should we go out to the movies? Right. The time-space continuum just kind of jumbles. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But I, uh, The Grinch. The Grinch is still Christmas, the old school one, Mm -hmm. because it's very short. Listen. And the song gets you every time. Mm-hmm. You're and I know they have new versions, you know, they have the Jim Carrey version and then they have the uh the more animated up but I still love the old, I mean, old like, school one from I actually, like yeah, like that old Is it from school. the fifties or the sixties? Yeah, probably or from the sixties. Right? Listen. Something like that. Something yeah. Like that. But um, but I guess we should get started and just uh, to tell our listeners. So this is going to be our last episode of the year. And then we're going to take a, a brief break. We yes. haven't decided it was going to be one week or two weeks, but probably uh, it's going to be a break. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Because we need to recuperate and refresh and a lot's been going on with us. And I'm sure a lot has been going on with you all. So I'm sure the sympathy is, you know, right in the there. meantime, you guys can go back and listen to Right. Old episodes right. and get caught yeah. up because mm-hmm. we are in season four. So if you want to do that, that would be good to go and get caught up and, um, you know, shoot us an email or DM and let us know some of your favorite past ones and yeah, uh, give us yeah. a shout out. But um, but uh, let's get started. Uh, I believe you are first okay. this week, my dear. So who's your notorious woman this week? All right, you guys, I have a little Christmas present for everybody. 
Okay. You mean post Christmas present or it's like the Christmas week present. So you know, okay. like Great Aunt Bertha could not get out of her house on Christmas Day because uh-huh. the arthritis acted up. But then you know, you came to visit her three days later, and she got you a gift. This is it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 I don't have a great aunt Bertha, just to be clear. Okay. Also, I'm Jewish, like, so is- I didn't get a lot of Christmas <laughs> presents growing up. This is uh, very specific. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. there is a woman, I don't know if you've heard of her. Her name is Taylor Allison Swift. Does she? Taylor Allison Swift, as in Taylor Swift? Is your notorious yes, as in Taylor week? Swift. Okay, Tay-Tay. Okay, yes. Tay-Tay. Okay, Tay-Tay. We love Tay-Tay over here. We do. We Tay-tay's do. Tay-Tay's getting them out to vote. Uh-huh. And Tay-Tay is yes. a boss bitch. And Tay-Tay is making it rain. Making the money. <laughs> let's, let's talk so I'm a about... Fan. Yeah, I, I love... Like, I'll be totally honest. Like, I'm a fan, but I don't, like, know her music really well kind of fan. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you probably know it better than you think because she's been around. Um, she's been a boss for so long. There, that's how famous she is. That it's like you know she's like in that that arena of Madonna or yes. you know Beyonce or Prince. Uh, Beyonce is more her contemporary, but Madonna, Prince, like the old school. Where there's at least one song of theirs that you've heard. Michael so Jackson, of course, we, and we definitely Jackson, tested. You know. We, we tested it because um, of the Eras tour, mm-hmm. which I will get to. But like literally, everybody yes. knows about it, so it's not a surprise. Um, and she, so they, I did not go pay all the money. I didn't have all the money; couldn't do it. <laughs> um, but I did have the twenty dollars it cost to go see her in the movie theater. And so, a bunch of my friends were like, "It was like the white girl brigade." I will say it is true. <laughs> Um, I represented the diversity of the group, if that tells you anything. Um, and like, I have friends who like practiced, like they rehearsed so that they could sing every word. No, I did not do that because I'm not that level committed, but I was next to them. And so I just kind of sang and screamed my brains up, but like, what words were I saying? Like, probably not the right ones, but I had the best time. So shake it off. Shaking Shaking it I know up. it's old school. Yeah, but I get yeah, yeah. so. But eras, girl, that happened. It was every era. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm excited because I honestly don't know that much about her like personal life. So I'm excited about this. So let's I, yeah, tell I me about Taylor either. Swift. I was like, oh, this will yeah. be easy. I was like, oh no, I actually have no idea. Um. Yeah. So she was born on December thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Her she parents just had was, a birthday. What's that? She just, she had, just a had a birthday. birthday. That's right. Yes. Upon Happy birthday, Happy belated. Yes. Um, her parents are Scott and Andrea Swift. So she was raised in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. Never heard of it. Um, Me either. It's like they couldn't decide between like Mississippi and Wyoming, and they just they just compromised. Wyoming. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Pennsylvania on a 15-acre Christmas tree farm. So, like, you guys, Merry Christmas. Okay. She was raised on a Christmas yes, tree farm? I know. Wow. Isn't that cool? Wow. Um, and at a very young age, she showed interest in pursuing music. So when she was nine, um, she was interested in musical theater, and she performed in Four Burks 
Youth Theater Academy Productions. So it was like Burke's Youth Theater probably puts on shows. For I was in one of those things where I grew up too. So Taylor and I have like a lot in common. Okay. Of course. You're like twins. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're the same person. Um, <laughs> and she also traveled regularly to New York City for voice and acting lessons. Then she, she started listening to Shania Twain and was super inspired and started like edging her style more towards country. Um, and so she spent weekends performing at local festivals and events. I don't really know how she went from that to at 11 singing the Star Spangled Banner before a Philadelphia 76ers basketball game. Oh, wow. Um, but I do know her parents at age were, eleven. At age eleven, they were super wow. supportive, and I'm, you know, we all know there's a lot of privilege here already. Being able to go into the city to take these lessons, and and she owns it too. Like, um, but well, she, the thing is, is that it's there's that. But for me, could you have stood in? In front no, of a large no, crowd and say at 11? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I could have had all the privilege. I could have all the money. I could have all, all the, the training, lessons. But... And you're telling me to look at that crowd and sing in front of them? No, thank you. And I wanted to be an actress very badly at that age. And I would still be like, I just peed myself. I'm going to go. I'm going to go clean up. And then I'm going to cry right. for a day. Yeah. Right. So she, she really, okay. like, yes, there's privilege, but she is also remarkable. Like, yeah, she truly is. You know, those kids, you Sam, because like you said, we yeah. not every kid, even if they wanted to be a singer or an actor, could right. do that at could, 11. They, so. Yeah. Um, but she had no. From what I she had, she just loves it and has no issue, you know, like she just wants to do it. So when that same year when she was 11, her mom took her to Nashville to visit record labels and there's, I got uh, information from HollywoodLife.com and people and Wikipedia and also Entertainment Weekly. She had an interview with them. Uh, quote. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Back up. Okay. What? Now I'm a Southerner. Mm, and even though parts of Pennsylvania and upstate New York is very Southern, uh, making your way to Nashville. Yeah. I would like to have seen some of that home video because I could only imagine the culture shock of like because there's some things in the south that we do yeah uh yeah that when I I've, I've been away for so long and I come back and I'm like oh yeah that is a country ass thing to do <laughs> like, that seems so weird just the way we we eat food yeah the kinds of food we eat like yeah, like, uh, you know, raccoons are a problem in upstate New York, but uh, in the South, that's good eating. <laughs> they're not I'm a just, problem. <laughs> they're not a problem. Just get a a, a family back in the backwoods. Uh, you won't have no coon problem much longer. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just yeah, saying. No, I hear you. Listen, I remember going so, home with a friend uh, for Christmas in Georgia like outside of Atlanta, but outside of Atlanta. And I remember like going to eat. He'd be like, listen, don't get, the tea is too sweet for you. Don't, just don't get Diet Coke. Because I was like, oh, I want to, no. Yeah. He's like, no, you're going to be mad. (laughs) That sums up the South perfectly. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I took a sip of his and I was like, "Ah." okay, I'm a Northern girl. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. Um, You're like, that's diabetes in a cup. (laughs) 
That's what we do in the <laughs> South. We do diabetes in a cup like no other area of the United States of America. <laughs> it's very effective. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt okay. you. Go ahead. So uh, she said, quote, my mom waited in the car with my little brother while I knocked on doors up and down music row. Uh, she uh, continued. She'd, she said, I would say, hi, I'm Taylor. I'm 11. I want a record deal. Call me. So this is where the difference between Taylor the and I continues. On this little girl. Right? She wasn't aggressive. Like, girl, shouldn't you be in school? <laughs> she's like, no, I'm going to be a star. Okay, motherfuckers. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, right. You know, like, yeah. she's, she is correct. Yep. Um, so she basically figured out that she needed to learn how to play guitar. That was the sense she got. Like, we have a lot of little oh, girls that are yeah. good singers. You need to do something to make yourself stand out. So she went home and she learned guitar. And uh, this is a guy who taught her to her and she got good, obviously. Uh, so when she was 14, her family moved to Hendersonville, Tennessee, when she signed a music publishing deal with Sony slash ATV as a songwriter, becoming the youngest person who signed with the company in its history as a songwriter. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, her parents were very, very careful. Like they moved for this for her, but they also didn't want to put any pressure on her. So I think that's significant. I think that's a significant fact of her life that they were not she was not pushed. She was not shoved. She has a great relationship with the parents to this day. Um, they wanted her to just follow her heart and they could afford to support this. Um, and But they didn't want, and her mom talks about, like, imagine that kind of pressure on a little girl. I'm not doing it, but I will support it. And I'm like, ah, that's how you do it. Good um, parents, yeah. Right? So she worked with some bigwigs, in the in in the industry writing music including a woman named Liz Rose so they began meeting the two of them began meeting for 2 hour writing sessions every tuesday afternoon after school and rose calls the sessions quote some of the easiest i've ever done basically i was just her editor she'd write about what happened in school that day she had such a clear vision of what she was trying to say and she'd come in with the most incredible hooks like, damn, that's mm. just like talent. Um, yeah. And also at that age, you, you know, if you are uh, supported properly and encouraged properly, you're unfiltered in your creativity. So yeah. you just need somebody to help you uh, edit, basically. Right. So. To, to guide it, essentially. Yeah. Um, but she became concerned that they would, they would shelve her music because they do mm. that a lot. And she felt like I'm writing yep. right now for me immediately and this work needs to happen now um and so she left too. sony i'm impressed yeah. i had no idea but that's why taylor swift is a big Listen, ass star because she I mean, was exactly. this ambitious at 12 <laughs> Like, she left Sony because she was afraid they wouldn't use her stuff. Now, listen, are you leaving Sony when they hire you to to write no. music for them? Never. Literal listen, never. That'll be my whole life. I am stalking you know? the executives at Sony, not being like, mm, this is not working for me. Yeah. <laughs> my 12-year-old me. <laughs> I really want more. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. get yeah. it, girl. And she did get it. 
So, so there was an industry showcase at Nashville's The Bluebird Cafe in 2005, which makes me feel so old because I was like 47 at 2005. I wasn't, but like <laughs> no, I feel like not. I was. I wasn't. I was getting married though. She's still a child. <laughs> um, she caught the attention of Scott Borchetta. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds right. Um, he was a DreamWorks record DreamWorks Records executive who was preparing to form his own independent record label, Big Machine Records. So she mm. was one of his new first signings for the label. Uh, her first mm. single, Tim McGraw, was released in the summer of 2006, and it was an immediate hit. What, so, her first single was called Tim McGraw? It was called Tim McGraw. I had to look that up. Oh, Six that's smart. Ways and yeah, and she loved him. So in order to get the song out there, this is a mama, okay? I would do this for my child. She and her mother prom helped promote it. They packaged and sent copies of the CD single to country radio stations. What a CD is, kids. See, it's this little... <laughs> Remember the, you know, it's like a record player. Remember the old school? You've seen them because it's vintage, so it's cool, but that's smaller. Yeah. Children. Yeah. All right. So the label didn't even have furniture yet because it was such a new company. So they sat on the floor for hours packaging and sending. Um, Borchetta said that the record industry peers – his peers did, did not approve of him signing a 15-year-old singer-songwriter. But he was like, Wait, she's so going to... She's 15. She's 15 now. Yeah. So what happened between 12 and 15? That, she Just went life? home. Yeah, well, it's 12 and 14. Mm. She went home. She learned guitar. She honed her skills. And then she okay. was signed Smart at 14. Girl. Yeah. Okay. Um, she made her debut at the Grand Ole Opry. I don't know if you've ever heard. Wow. Of the Grand uh, Little yeah. Theater down south. Um, mm -hmm. As a rising country star, September 2006. Her first album, entitled Taylor Swift, was certified platinum in 2007, having sold more than one million copies in the U.S. What? That's crazy. At 15? Yeah. Well, 16. Wow. 16. Um, and then she's getting in, a little long in the tooth at 16. I mean, she's getting a little. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Old lady. Um, so in 2008, Fearless was her next album. It was more like pop, but she still had country roots. Uh, killed it. You know, Fearless opened at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Uh, this is the album with like You Belong With Me and Love Story. Yeah. And I'm like, how how are you 16 when you did that? Because I. But you know what she reminded me of then? Yeah. A little known lady from the 80s, I believe, named Debbie Gibson. You remember <gasps> Debbie Gibson? I love Debbie Gibson. Oh my god, you're totally right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh Taylor Swift, totally. So any Tay-Tay totally. fans out there, look up Debbie Gibson. You guys, you will uh, not be disappointed. And the rivalry she had with Tiffany. Tiffany. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which were the iterations of them were Britney and Christina. Yeah. And, but they were sexier. Whereas I've always one thing I've always admired by um, about Taylor Swift 
and her people and her parents. And I think it goes to that her parents are involved in her life and yeah. in the decision around her image that she came out. She's like, my talent is going to speak for itself. I don't yeah. have to be super sexy. I'm not selling that. Yeah. And it's the kind of music that you'd want your girls to listen to, just like Debbie Gibson. I mean, so oh my God, yeah. I didn't make that connection until right now. And I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. And I'm gonna listen to Debbie don't Gibson. Get me for so, the rest don't of the get day. me singing Debbie Gibson. Only in my dreams, but it really is messy. I don't know if we can afford it. Uh, was we more can than that, but afford it. <laughs> it's about yeah, dreams. Like, it's so good. And like uh yeah, but Tiffany but I love was also that. good. I love them both. I was like, girl, stop fighting. Um, yeah, it was you know, it was probably totally manufactured, were, but like I what I loved about it is that they didn't even run into um, each other. <laughs> Exactly. That they were young women writing their own songs. Yeah. Like, I mean, right. That's very true. Um, So now I'm jealous of everybody. Cool, cool. Um, (laughs) So uh, she always, she, she always had a really, okay. If you guys, if you guys need like a little like catharsis, Taylor's very close with her mom, her mom and her, her mom helps guide her. Her mom wanted to make sure she had a great childhood, a great life. She Aww. wrote a song, The Best Day, dedicated it to her mother. So she recorded it in secret the summer before. Aww. And then for Christmas, she created um, the, the the video. And it's like old home movies of her mom and her when she's like a baby, like as she grows up. And like she also talks about like her dad and her brother. It's like, listen, okay. if you didn't like if her you before, could- you're going to love her now. If you could guarantee that your child would turn out like this, I would sign on to have children. Just saying. You can't guarantee that, though. No, there's no. I'm just, Taylor Swift could convince me to have her relationship with her mother could convince me to have children. But other than that, I mean, I'd probably have baby Hitler and then have to smother him in his sleep. But, you know. <laughs> I just like uh, show these moments to my children and I'm like, right? Isn't that nice? Don't you want to be that child yeah. so I can be that mom? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, that's not how it works, though. Yeah, yeah no, you, you're, you're correct. That's not how it works. Again, I would have Chucky. That would be my, my son, Chucky. <laughs> That'd be now, just my now. luck. I wouldn't have uh, Taylor Swift as a child. I'd have Chucky. Yeah. You could tame the Chucky, you know. Have you seen Chucky? No, okay. I won't do that. Chucky that's jumps terrifying. from, um, and also, apparently, Chucky jumps, like, has recruits. We can turn other dolls to Chucky's. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Did I mention the <laughs> I amount digress. of baking shows I've watched? It's a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's so sweet. So, oh, what a sweet kid. Yeah, right? Oh. Um, oh. So in 2009, she went on her first tour as a headliner, sold out across the USA. Um, and she also, that same year, dominated the industry award circuit. So Fearless was Album of the Year uh, by the Academy of Country Music in April. And she topped the best female video category for You Belong With Me at the VMAs. Okay. So remember the VMAs in 2009? Do you remember them? Yeah. I I seem to remember a person who will not be named, Mm -hmm. who is dead to me forever, um, interrupting this young woman. Yeah. uh, And on a drunken rant, he shall not be named. Uh, Yeah. Shall we not oh, name him? Oh, Shall yeah, I the brown liquor. Him? Oh, no, oh. the brown liquor and narcissism was responsible for all of that. Yeah. But we're all like, what is he doing? Yeah, that's a solid what? combo right there. Um, <laughs> brown so liquor she and narcissism. Went up to ex- 
You gotta you gotta put that on a t shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's brilliant. Done. Um yeah. so during her acceptance speech, y'all, if you weren't there, it's pretty famous. You can probably look it up. She was interrupted. I'll say the name. Should I say the name? It's a Mr. Yeah, Kanye West. I, I won't be saying the name. No, you don't have to. Um, he was protesting that the award should have gone to Beyonce. Um, what he called, quote, one of the best videos of all time. End quote. And let's note that even Beyonce is like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you like, watch it, like, guys, you could Google this. If you watch it, Beyonce is like, stop it. She won. It's fine. Sit down. You're embarrassing me. Like, I'm doing, like, Beyonce's like, I'm doing just fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, over here. I'm fine. This is not, yeah. do not. Yeah. Um, and Taylor also, they both, like, both women handled it so beautifully. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So then later, Beyonce, was accepting the award for video of the year, um, which is great. But I was like, Kanye, sit down. She's about to win a really bigger award. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, she invited Taylor to come up and give the speech she wanted to give. Um, standing ovation, beautiful moment. Love Classic. it. Love it. Women supporting women. That's how you do yes, it. Yes. That's how we do it. Kanye, yep. sit down, dude. Sit down. I mean, allegedly sit down. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. no, he just got worse. I mean, right? We thought that was the worst. Oh, no. No, no. Um, in 2010, she won a whole bunch of Grammys also. Third album was Speak Now. Um, and then she also starred in the movie Valentine's Day and became a cover girl spokeswoman. I did not see Valentine's Day, but I don't really like those movies. You don't I, like Valentine's you know, like, Day, New Year's Day, Christmas Day. I don't. Yeah, like I'm like yeah. it's too many chopped up stories. Like I'm yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. three basic bitches that do not like Love Actually. I'm sorry. I know <laughs> you'd think I would love it. The amount of baking shows and shitty Christmas movies I watch is unbelievable, and yet can't watch Love Actually can't connect it doesn't hold up mm, you know it doesn't hold up you watch it, it now you're like this is problematic you're a stalker I'm you're a, a holiday child. girl <laughs> yes watch uh last holiday with queen latifah and mm-hmm. the holiday with uh cameron diaz yeah kate winslet and yep. uh, jude law dreamy jude law I want to do so many dirty things with Jude Law. Yeah, just like once. Oh, I'm know? sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on what? camera. What? No, I'm, I'm married sorry. and very happy about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Jude Law perform Hamlet with my husband in New York 100 years no, ago. And he just kind of kept glaring at me like, this is what you like? And I was like, stop looking at me. Stop it. Um, mm. I'm not dead. I'm just married. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he really wants to touch me, Zal. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're good but if he wanted to i mean you know it's another guess. conversation for another day yes. you know yes um okay so then she released red in 2012 she voiced a character in the lorax the movie it was a cute little movie that oh, i yeah. enjoy um mm. uh, in its first week it sold 1.2 million copies which was awesome this is the song. This is the We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. It's one of my favorites. I know like 60% of those words right there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Most of which is We Are Never Ever Ever Getting Back Together over and over again. 
Um, and then she released 1989 in 2014. Um, and that was where I had small babies in a one bedroom apartment in New York City. So that is the album that I know the best because we just listened to music and cried. I'm fine. Um, so then in 2016, Kanye rears himself up again. Um, he released a single called Famous, which included a lyric in which Taylor was referred to as a bitch. And she alleged that that was misogynistic. Interesting. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. Motherfucker, you, you interrupted me, but I'm the bitch. Come yeah. on. Yeah. See, you know, yeah. this is why I be, this is why I believe in some violence in some cases. Uh, some people <laughs> do deserve an open hair slap in the motherfucking mouth. You interrupted me and I'm the bitch. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. That's how it works in this fucking world, right? This is why women are angry. Because this is how it's thought of. We are the problem. Oh. How? This is why he will so, not be named. Yeah, so then his wife at the time, we know her, um, released a recording of a phone call in which Taylor had said it was okay. She gave the approval for the line. However, Kanye made no mention of calling her a bitch. She said, yeah, you can say say my name. But she didn't say you can call me a bitch. A bitch? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, like, and also... Even if that's true, can you imagine somebody calling you up and being like, "Hey, I have this song." Um, it, it's 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 the tricky part about uh, patriarchy. I have this song where I call you a bitch, you know, in reference to I think, ha ha ha, it's satire. And right. I mean, she doesn't seem she she Taylor Swift is much nicer than me because I'd be like, "Motherfucker, why you calling my phone? Why you on my yeah. phone?" First off, <laughs> like, how'd you get she this number? Like, and keep delete, my delete, name. Delete. <laughs> yes she should have wouldn't it be funny if taylor swift in real life was like hey kind of like a uh uh like a pimp like a pimp daddy kind of <laughs> attitude like motherfucker keep my name out your mouth would, <laughs> and she'd be like hello would, hi everyone hi. <laughs> i love my fans this motherfucker <laughs> i'm gonna stab him <laughs> oh my god could I love her That'd more? I don't even know. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I'd have to work with her one day because that would be. But you know what? She stays in this business long enough. She'll turn into that because these motherfuckers yeah. will stay playing in women's faces. Yeah. And he I interrupted love that her she and calls back. her a bitch. She, yeah. No. And she does not take it. She also took part in a widely publicized civil trial in August 2017 after former radio host uh, I just don't want to get in trouble, so I'm not going to say his name, sued her, her mother, and a promoter, claiming that she had falsely accused him of sexually groping her in 2013 during the taking of a photograph and thus destroyed his career. She countersued, maintaining that the assault had taken place. At the trial, she was removed from his suit, and the other two defendants were found not liable, as the jury found in favor of Taylor's countersuit. So she won. Soon after. So he fucked around and found out. Yeah. And then got into a song because you know that happens. She does it. She will write you into a song. The song is called. First of all, you don't fuck with Tay Tay and her people, her attorneys. No. Right. Because they're coming for all your things. Uh And then she's going to add insult to injury by putting it in a song. Listen, don't do it. Don't so do next it. time you listen to Look What You Made Me Do, like you can enjoy it like <laughs> a little bit extra. 
A little bit extra. That is so gangster. Look what you Listen. made me do. You made me do this to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop hitting your face. Stop hitting your face. You know, you know. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay, so Tay Tay is. Tay Tay is Bad not only like, <laughs> like a, you know, phenomenal and mega star, but she's also like. She's like, she's doing boss moves, like, but, and it's not even a bully because it's like, look what you made me do. You did this to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I love, she is, she is changing the narrative. (sighs) Goals. Um, Okay. To be a woman to be able to do that. uh, Oh, girl. That's like our goals. She's my hero. Yes. Yep. Okay. So in 2018, she left Big Machine. She signed with Republic Records and Universal Music Group. Um, the following year, her former label, which owned the master recordings of her six albums, was sold to Scooter Braun, a talent manager who also who also uh, has Kanye as his client. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So she publicly spoke, spoke out against the deal, um, claiming that Porchetta had rejected her attempts to acquire the master tapes um, and that Scooter had not been kind to her. Um, so mm. then she tried to negotiate a deal, but he sold her back catalog to a private investment firm in 2020. So what did she do? And this explains something that I could not figure out. She began re-recording her early material in an effort to gain control of it. So when you go to like Apple or whatever to like listen to your music, Spotify, every song she's ever written has Taylor's version next to it. Now, I was confused oh, because damn. I was like, aren't they all Taylor's version? No, she re-recorded. So she took back control of all of her music. Okay. Wow. Yes. So I think everything. Kind of yeah. I think I yeah. just got a lady boner. Is that? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's real. Is that, uh, that's happening. That, okay. Yeah. It's happening to everyone right now as they're listening wow. to us. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank um, you. The, the power in that is uh, well, intoxicating. Well, and- right. Yeah. I mean, right? So 2019, she released the album Lover. 2020, she released Folklore with a sister record, Evermore, later that year. In 2022, she released Midnights. Like all while she's re-recording. Um, wow. They're all different energy. She plays. She's so brilliant. Also, before we go... Let's talk about how she is openly and actively pro-choice, a feminist. She was a founding member of the Time's Up movement. She advocates for LGBTQ plus AI plus, I don't want to miss them, all the pluses, rights. She called for the passing of the Equality Act. She performed during World Pride New York City in 2019 at Stonewall. She supports the March for Our Lives movement, which was and gun control reform. She's a vocal critic of white supremacy, donated around the time of the George Floyd protests to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the Black Lives Matter movement. She has called for the removal of Confederate monuments in Tennessee. She has advocated for Juneteenth to become a national holiday. Well done. We can thank Taylor for that, which is awkward, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in 2020, she urged her fans to check their voting voter registration ahead of elections, which resulted in 65,000 people registering to vote within one day of her post. She endorsed you know Joe think- and Kamala, and she criticized openly 
that orange guy that was pretending to run the country for four years. I don't remember his name. <laughs> you know, I feel like Taylor Swift is trying um, to make up for white ladies. I think she's trying to uh, represent her peeps yes. and your peeps. Yes. Uh, I think yes. that she is. She looked at those election results of 2016 and she's like, get the mm. fuck out of here. Uh, mm-hmm. We can do better, white ladies. So uh, yeah. let's let's do let's uh, put our privilege to good use. Yes. And get these fuckers out of here. I mean. Right. Because before I feel like she was a little bit more, you know, doing her things behind the scenes. You know, it's it's tricky to get political. But she looked around 2016. She was like, get the fuck out of here. No, 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 no. Again, I I think Taylor Swift is low key. Do use the pimp voice at home. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, there's a there's a there's a documentary of her life. I think it's called Americana, um, mm-hmm. which I was. I, mean, I can't say everything about her. Like I know we're going to end this podcast. Right, right. If you're super swifty, you're going to be like, you forgot this whole thing. I'm so sorry. There's only so much time in a day. But there is a moment where her father does not want her wants her to stay just neutral, and she makes mm-hmm. a choice. She makes an active choice. It's not. You know, and her father's protecting her. Like I, yeah, of I, course, yeah, I it's out it. of concern, yeah. But yeah. um, but she's just like, no, I can't be this big, and not do something about it, which is yeah. badass. Yes. Um, so I'm we basically, like we like you, we we like Tay Tay, we like we like we, her we, a lot. I mean, we might be Swifties at this point by the time we're done. I don't um, think we know enough words to the songs. That's the problem. Or also, the that's not really themselves. in our age group. Because <laughs> we're like a little old, maybe. Like, it's true. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. Ever but, yeah. getting back together. Um, so March 2023 was the start of her first concert tour since 2018. The Eras Tour. You guys know this. Uh, her sixth tour overall. Um, chaos at Ticketmaster. She was pissed. They worked it out. Kind of. Ticketmaster still sucks. Allegedly. Alleged. Alleged. Um, she did not. Didn't she? Uh, I'm sorry I to interrupt she, you. Didn't that whole fiasco, like, uh, is the reason that it triggered like a, a congressional hearing? Yes, it did. It about did. like ticket scalping? Yes. It could be, and the way okay. that they run it, yeah, is not yeah. great. So okay. she didn't directly say anything bad about Ticketmaster, but she just said this is not good. And I think no, her that fans op- are like, "Fuck this!" Yeah, I think <laughs> that opened up more because I have. I mean, I I really only know this because I have friends who were like on you know on a computer for four days and still not getting through, <laughs> um, and then gave up because you have to sleep sometime. Um, yeah. And then suddenly we're able to get tickets because they, okay. they did fix some things. Yeah. Um, she was named time person of the year in 2023, yeah. which made her the first woman to appear twice, um, as a person of the year, because, uh, in 2017, she was recognized as one of the silence breakers who inspired women to speak the time's up movement. Um, or the me too. My bad. I don't know. Time's up. Mm-hmm. They're connected. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's Taylor Swift. She's still going. She's had a birthday. Who knows? What a wonderful subject to end the 2023 year with. I thought so. The time person of the year. Right? Thank you so much. A lot of that, some of that I knew, but a lot of it I didn't know. So especially about the early stuff. 
Like I didn't um, know. Um, yeah. I just love it when a young girl can have such ambition and be encouraged and not like be deterred from it by like, that's not ladylike. That's not what little girls are supposed right. to do. Little girls aren't supposed to have ambition, you right. know, but encourage to do that. Because so, it, it's not just um, being a singer. It's going out there. It's knocking on doors. Like that is something that is something that's not necessarily encouraged for young women to be to be um, aggressive in their wants, not in a bad way. Ambitious, open, openly Openly ambitious. ambitious. Like yeah, yeah. So I love that. Thank you so much, Taylor Swift. Yes, baby. Um, so my notorious uh, woman now, for those of you who may not know, I've been in Florida several months, uh, looking after my grandparents. Um, and unfortunately my grandmother, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. She passed recently. Um, I adored her. Uh, we were very close. And so it's, it's been, um, really hard, uh, so very fresh, but I was like, you know, we got to go out with a bang, <laughs> um, Listen, and actually Lovetta, doing, concentrating I- on the podcast. I just want to say, I'm going to take a moment and say it. It's too late because we record. We never, we don't edit. So there's nothing you can do to stop me. Lavetta deserves like her own notorious woman moment for what she has done for her grandparents. For her grand- Okay. I'm going to say it and I'm going to put it on the podcast. So it lives forever. <laughs> um, okay. That's all I have to say. She's a hero. She's my hero. I told okay. You, stop trying to make me cry. Stop I can't help it. I can't cry. I get, well, I get that a she, lot, but anyway. <laughs> I wanted to honor her uh, in okay. a way, and because my grandmother's a badass, she was like my yeah. role model in a lot of ways for like my outlook on life, how I treat people. She's incredibly kind, but also very, uh, what they would say, a, a sapphire, a sassy black woman. Um, but she was very loving and kind. Um, she was also built like a brick house. My grandmother was bad. She was a baddie, I'm just saying. Um, and so I thought, how can I honor her with my choice of, uh, my notorious woman, uh, that will take us out of this, uh, month, uh, this year, 2023. And I settled on someone that when my grandmother was younger, a lot of people say that she looked like actually, and someone I admire, and I was going to get to this person sooner or later, but I think that this is very fitting and this is for you, grandma, Eva May. Uh, my notorious woman this week is Pam Greer. Oh my God! Yes. yes. Oh my God! Yes. You're descended. My grandpa from Pam said to Greer, me, "Essentially, I know." He said the okay. other day he was like, "Cause we've been looking through pictures and stuff, you know." And he's like, uh, "He's like, oh yeah, that's when she was looking like Pam Greer." And I was like, "Oh my God, I got to do this Pam Greer." Also, yes. Pam Greer is awesome. So, oh my God, um, I'm so excited. So let's get to it. Nice. So Pam Greer was born, and of, of course, just like Taylor Swift, she has a long career, so I'm not going to go over everything. I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff, but yeah, uh, this will give you guys some insight. Uh, hashtag not historians, but uh-huh. this will yeah. whet, oh, yeah. uh, whet your appetites. So um, so Pam Greer was born on May 26, 1949 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, to Gwendolyn Davis, a homemaker and a nurse, and Clarence Ransom Greer, Jr., who was a mechanic and a technical sergeant in the U- in the Air Force. Okay. She has one brother and one sister. Now, originally her parents were already living in Denver, Colorado, um, but while her, but while her mother was pregnant for some reason they decided to go and visit her father's family in North Carolina. 
Okay. Um, and they even used the Green Book to navigate their journey down south. Yeah. Because again, it's of 1949. Course. Yeah. And um, that's why she was born in North Carolina. So, uh, okay. um, also because of her father, he was in the military. So like a lot of military families, they moved frequently in the earlier part of her childhood. Yeah. Uh, and, and in 1956, so she was one, they actually moved to Swindon in Southwest England in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, and by her, they were there for a couple of years and, and by her own account, she actually, she remembers uh, that they were the only black family in town. But she didn't experience any racism or they didn't, she doesn't remember any segregation compared to that of the United States. And of yeah. that time, she she is quoted as saying, quote, they didn't care that I was black since they since they hadn't raised to hate black blacks. Instead, they've been raised to hate Germans, end quote. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Another you reminder know, that prejudice is taught. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Prejudice is taught, like, so it's got to be on a list, and it's got to be. I mean, you've got to be taught. It's in South Pacific. I yeah. I was pretty sure that musical solved racism, and I'm really disappointed that it didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what it did. South Pacific right? solved racism. I saw I saw a temple now, version of it when I was like eight, and I was like, "That's right." Enough said. <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, now, shortly after that, her father was transferred uh, to California, to California's Travis Air Force Base. But eventually they ended uh, back in Denver, Colorado, near Lowry Air Force Base. Now, okay. she she spent a lot of her time with, you know, her extended family and also with her grandparents, um, her grandmother. Uh, they called her Marky uh, okay. and her and Daddy Ray, her maternal grandparents. Um, they had a farm in Wyoming, a sugar beet farm, Ooh. and it was like a 200 acre farm. And it basically uh, was where her ancestors had uh, fled. They were homesteaders uh, via the Underground Railroad to escape Very. slavery. So the 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 mid the uh, Midwest has like actually a larger a much larger black population. Like um, when I found that, I was like, oh my god, I must meet these black people, um, yeah. who many of them have been out there since um, the end of the war, uh, the Civil War, even before. And then of course the homesteader, um, the homestead, a migration. A lot of black people yeah. um, did that as well, but. Her people are like Midwesterners, like with farm and like these are country folk. This is what we say. Yeah. Um, now, some of her fondest memories were actually hanging out on this farm in Wyoming and especially with Daddy Ray in his garden. Yeah. And uh -huh. he would take her hunting and fishing. Can you imagine this little cute little girl hanging out with yeah, her grandpa? Totally. Um, and she spoke fondly about him because he always uh, he believed in teaching the girls to be self-sufficient. Yes. And to be prepared nice. for life. So he taught mm -hmm. them how to, you know, hunt and fish, but also how to change a tire and other life skills that she would need as an adult. Um, and then, you know, in between being at the farm in Wyoming, she also lived in a, a close knit black community in Denver. Um, now, a lot of times back then. Segregation in a lot of ways was we know it's because they said separate, separate, but, but equal, but it wasn't equal. If it had been equal, no. it actually probably would have been a utopia for black people because I mean, who wants to honestly. risk being ridiculed and harassed 
And so a lot of these people of a lot of black people of her generation and even before remember fondly being in the in being in these all black communities, feeling safe and secure, yeah. being encouraged. Um, so um, so she remembers, uh, you know, she attended East High School in Denver and she appeared she appeared on a number of stage productions, but she was very athletic. She was into sports. Yeah. Um, and as she grew up, she was a. Um, she entered a couple beauty contests and but for the most part, she was a tomboy. Yeah. Um, and she now before I get to that. So she ended up graduating from high school and then she was in a beauty contest. And her aunt, one of her aunts was like, I think you should, you know, it, from one of the beauty contests, she met a an agent in L.A. And he was like, if you ever come out to L.A., you know, I have a job for you at least, but I also send you out to auditions and things like that. So her aunt was like, that's a great opportunity for you to get the hell out of Podunk. You know, you want to go okay. somewhere. But she's yeah. like, yeah, you know, she again, she's a homebody. Um, but before that, when she was about age six in 1955, okay, she in Denver, she and her mom. So her father worked a lot on the Air Force Base. And then, of course, her mother worked because these are working class people. Right. Um, she would often visit her aunt's house, you know, because everybody stayed at everybody's house. So when she was six in the summer of 1955, she was visiting her aunt's place in the projects. Okay. And her mother was out working. Her aunt was out working. And basically, it's one of those situations where um, it, it probably still goes on today where the younger, the slightly older kids look after the younger right. kids. Yeah. So basically, the older kids were supposed to be looking out for the younger kids. And she she said she remembers she was downstairs in her aunt's house just playing like puzzles or coloring or something because she's six, like literally yeah. six years old. Yeah. And there were some older boys in the house who were about between the ages of 10 and 12, and they were upstairs playing. Mm-hmm. So she remembers they called down to her and told her to come up, um, that they wanted to show her something. So, you know, she's six years old. She, so she goes up and... I'm not going to go into details because it's very traumatic and triggering for some people. So trigger warning yeah. for uh, sexual assault. But they assaulted her. Ugh, um, and she was six. So she didn't uh, know what was happening. Oh um, and the horrible thing about it is that she remembers that this was happening. She kind of know what was happening. But then her aunt had forgotten to tell the telephone repairman not to come that day. So he came and he came in the house because, you know, it was back in, in the 50s. Right. And he caught the boys assaulting her. And he was like, what, what, is, what are you kids doing here? Da, da, da. And he was enraged, of course, to, to see what they were doing to her. So he told her to go into the bathroom. And then she heard him through the door yelling at the guys and, you know, the boys and, and, and scattering them around. And then he left. But what she no, now we no, you don't that's leave. a horrible situation. You, what happened was because, again, this is 1955. She was so young and such a, a sweet, innocent child that she misunderstood. She thought she had done something wrong oh. and that the man was angry at her. Oh. So she thought it was somehow her fault and that she had caused this terrible thing that had just happened to her. She never know, she never told her parents. And then later oh. when the boys actually saw her outside, they threatened her that if she told anyone, they beat her up. And so... This six-year-old baby, a baby, had this terrible thing. And then because it's old school, and also this guy's a stranger, 
So, you know, he probably thought, well, I've done my thing. I ran these these terrible, nasty boys off and, you know, and told her to go in the bathroom to protect no, herself. But no. in her mind, she's like, oh, I did something wrong. I mean, I'm glad so, he stopped um, them, but you're not done. You're just not done. Yeah, I mean, this is like a, a, a generational thing. It's also because she was so traumatized and at six, you don't even have the words. So she never told mm-hmm. her family what happened. She never told her family, but she changed. She became withdrawn. You know, again, she's yeah. hanging out with Daddy yeah. Ray on the farm and she's, you know, she's a little tomboy and she's funky and, you know, but after this happened, um, she became just so d- different and she even developed a stutter. Oh, so I mean, she basically very, withdrew from everyone. Common, yeah, yeah. So they were just concerned because this, you know, this this lively young little girl is like withdrawn and and now she's stuttering. I bet they were so confused. They they didn't have any kind of like reference yeah. for this, and right, you know. Um, and because of this, um, now before I go on, so unfortunately. This she would suffer a sexual assault two more times in her life, oh. once at 18 and another time in her 20s. Um, that many There's young so women many can attest to. That I need to chop off personally. I just, yeah, it's and a again, lot. she was six years old. Six, and I'm um, sorry, I would send those boys to jail. I don't give a shit. Like, I know their children six, too. I Fuck them. They're us. You know, it's so interesting Mm -mm. because I wonder what would have happened if she was. But then how do you even tell an adult what happened? It it would be up to the man to say any of this is. Yeah. She didn't know what happened. That's Um, why that man needed to stick around and say this poor child suffered. He's a 19. These children. He's a 1955 middle aged man. They. I know. I know. I know. And in his. And a stranger at that. Like. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. He, you know, so um, now because, again, she's withdrawn, she's she's six. Um, her family's just very concerned with her and especially her grandparents. So Daddy Ray uh, started to bring her to back to the farm in Wyoming a lot more often because she seemed really, Good. really happy and free there. Um, and um, she eventually, because she was there a lot more often, she <laughs> she uh, to this day, she loves horses. Um, yeah. and they introduce her to one of the big, uh, the horses that she called big horse cause she's sick, Aww. big horse. Um, and she tells this beautiful story. Oh, um, so my main sources today are TMC's, uh, there's a great podcast series on her called the plot thickens okay. an EW article from Maureen Lee Lenker and a New York times article from David Marchese. And in the TMZ, the Plot Thickens podcast, um, she tells this tells this great story of like how all of that happened. And then one day she was she went with her grandpa and his friend, and they were in the car and they went to a juke joint. <laughs> and they were like, nice. they were like, you stay in the car because that's <laughs> what they did back then. And um, and she started to get worried. And you know, after a while, because you know, she said it was like hours, but knowing a kid is probably like forty five minutes. Who knows? Yeah. But Big Horse appeared all of a sudden. Okay. And she approached uh, approached him and he and then she ended up she got on on his back and he was so gentle and he was he was just leading her around and like she kind of got lost. So then when her uh, uh, daddy Ray came out with his friend, they were like, Where? they were frantic, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they found her um, just off with big horse. 
And I think the animals are so beautiful. Big Horse know she needed that. And that'll make me cry too. So um, that really, she started to come out of her shell a little bit more after, you know, finding her her connection with nature and with animals. So um, that was, that's how she was able to get through high school and, you know, somewhat recover. Now, like I said, she, as she was growing up, you know, going through high school, she was very athletic. So, and she turned out to be, she was turning into a young, a beautiful young woman, as we all yeah. know. Um, but she was still very like kind of country and like, just, she was really a, well, a dork, really. Like, she's yeah. really totally like a dork. Um, and she, so she, she started going into beauty contests just to raise money for college. So she, cause oh, she yeah. wanted to go to the local college and After, like I said uh, previously, winning one, an agent from APA agency told her if she ever came to Los Angeles, he'd have a job for. So, you know, if she ever made her way out there, she'd at least have a job, which she did make her way out in 1968 with the um, encouragement of an aunt who said, you know, I'll drive you out there and I'll pay for it. You know, so this is how you encourage young people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, as we all know, as we both know, LA is very expensive and yep. it wasn't any different in 1968. Yeah. Um, so she arrived in LA and she began working, just trying to save money because she eventually wanted to enroll in UCLA. So she started working several jobs, including a reception uh, as a receptionist at APA, uh, at the switchboard at the American International Pictures. Oh, um, I love a company. switchboard story. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. She also was a DJ, which she said that was her favorite job. And then about after a year, she fell into singing backup for different R&B singers, including Bobby Womack and Sly Sylvester Stone. Sly and the Family Stone. Like that Sly Stone. What? I don't understand. LA is crazy. LA is so crazy. Okay. LA is so crazy. Here we are. Okay. Um, Yeah. And she's just, again, she was trying to save money, but it's one of those things where you're trying to save money and you're trying to enroll in school, but you're working four, five jobs. So like, yeah. do you have the energy even at like 19 or 20? Um, so she also, she fell into with some, uh, some film students at UCLA who were, okay. um, they were in the middle of basically shooting their student films. Okay. And she fell into them basically in the crew. And she was like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. And so she thought initially that she wanted to learn how to to uh, do film uh, filmmaking behind the scenes. Oh, so she know. crewed on a bunch of uh, these student films for a while. And she just had so much fun, you know, while working and her multiple jobs. And, you know, she she was making her way because she said when she first started working at the agency, she was so country bumpkin that the other ladies were so sweet. They were like, oh, no, we're going to take you and change your style. You got to. She's like, but I don't have a lot of money. They were like, don't worry, we, but you got to change your style, girl, if you're going to be here yeah. in L.A. Like you got to. I mean, um, so, yeah, she's basically is living the starving student trying to make her way late teens, early 20s life that a lot of people can relate to. Um, so she had been here like a couple years. She had been in LA a couple years. And then one night she went to a club and again, she was so dorky. She's just, you know, uh, but she's just a very, it's so interesting because her persona is so different. I think than the actual Pam Greer, who's yes. like very sweet and cerebral and kind of nerdy. Um, <laughs> this is but she ran into a young, yeah. Basketball star by the name of Luau Sender Jr., Okay. Who would later become known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, yes. Him I know. She said yes. that. 
Yeah. She said she saw him at, they were, she was at a club one night and she saw this really tall, lanky guy <laughs> dancing. And she was so surprised because he's actually dancing really well, even, uh-huh. even though he's like seven feet tall, like. <laughs> so they just started talking one day. Basically, both of them were a bunch of uh, both of them a bunch of nerds. Both of them are like we would call them nerds back then. But you yeah. know, um, but he was a uh, a young college basketball star who was most certainly got, about to be um, uh, recruited and be the number one draft pick. Basically, I was going to say so, about to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, she didn't know that at the time. So they kind of hit it off. And so basically their relationship kind of started around that time, you know, where he was still a star, but, you know, he's he's down to earth and, you know, and then he started playing professionally. So eventually they moved in together and, but, you know, they're very young. Um, Now, after being drafted and and being in the league for for a little bit, uh, Kareem Abdul, well, Luau Sender was very uh, much affected by the assassination of Martin Luther King, as many people were, as many black people were. So after that, he actually began studying Islam. And he got really into it and he changed his name. And she said it was really hard because she knew him as Luau, like, like, and then to be calling him Kareem. So it was just an adjustment, but she was very supportive uh, partner. And, but it became very clear that he uh, converted to Islam and he wanted his partner soon to be fiance wife to also convert. Yeah. So he wanted her to become a good Muslim wife. Mm. And she did not, she kind of said she, she was just trying to figure it out at first. And then eventually he gave her ultimatum and it basically ended their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, you you can't change. I'm a big believer in that. Like you can't change someone's heart. You can't force someone to have a favorite color. You certainly can't force someone to believe in a God you don't. You know what I'm saying? Well, especially when that person's 19, 20. So that's like, that's, that's a lot to ask because you're like, what if I change my mind? Like, I'm not really sure. But one thing about Miss, yeah, one thing about Miss Pam Greer, which again, she reminds me of my grandmother is that she, I love her because she's always had her own mind. She's always been like, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. You know, so that's something that shows up throughout her life. Now, by 1970, at age 21, she was still, you know, working those jobs, obviously having a boyfriend live in. But then once that that ended, you know, but she always was looking the thing that she could do and not rest on being somebody's wife because she could have easily just been become his wife. Um, an agent, so she was still working at uh, APA and AIP, and an agent asked her, uh, one day she was working there, and an agent asked her if she ever considered acting because uh, the legendary indie producer, Roger Corman, uh-huh. uh, was casting a new movie about women in prison. Okay. Now, for those of our listeners who don't know, Roger Corman is a legendary yeah. indie producer. Like, he is known mainly for, like, low budget horror genre kind of stuff from the like 70s and eight or 60s, 70s and 80s. But he also directly um, helped and uh, showed some of your faves and some legendary directors of their own how to become a good director. Uh, he basically was like the Blumhouse, the Jason Blumhouse yeah. before Jason Blumhouse. Yeah. Like 
he is legendary. And so he would create different genres of films. And um, so he was looking to uh, to start a new genre called women in prison films. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when the agent asked her, again, she's 21. And again, she has no idea. She knows she's probably cute, but she has no idea how beautiful she is probably right. and how she's coming off to people. Um, so she was sort of hesitant at the time. Um, and, but he was like, no, actually they're having the casting. They were having a cat, a cat, uh, a cattle call basically down the street. Yeah. And the agent's like, let's walk over there. Let's just see. And they literally just walked down the block. Like that's how close they were. Okay. And so she went in and they asked her if she knew how to read. She's like, of course I know how to read. What? She thought it was like a racial thing. They're like, no, yeah. read a script. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and they were interested in her. Because yeah. they wanted, the director wanted a black woman in one of these films because it's supposed to be these women getting together in prison and fighting back. And they spe- mm-hmm. specifically wanted a black woman, but they also wanted actors who were raw, who weren't too polished. So That's she was her. a newbie. So, yeah. Yep. So she read and they just loved, they, they said they just loved her. It was a terrible read, but they just loved her energy and like, and her look and everything. Say, so they actually how to cold read for a casting director in four seconds. Right. That doesn't right. happen. I don't care how talented you are. That's a no. specific skill. It was a, okay. it was a terrible read, but, but they loved fine. her. They loved her yeah. look, and they liked that she was not. She didn't even know. Like that was part of the appeal, right? Um. So they offered her the role, but again, she was still kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. But then when she found out that. What she was going to be paid in a week yep. <laughs> was way more money than she would be paid being a receptionist. I'm like, a how DJ, are you reticent? Uh, uh, switchboard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, Take the job and the money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So once she did that, she also, she was like, okay, well, because again, she's a big old nerd. She's like, I, I got to like read. So she started reading all these books and actor prepared, all this other stuff. Yeah, and okay. like, Really, like, she wanted to give it backstory, so she wanted oh, to show it prepared. Good. Yeah. Um, and that movie uh, was, it, it turned into The Big Doll House, which was her feature film debut in 1971. Okay. Um, and she would go on to star in the follow-up, Women in Cages from 1971, <laughs> and The Big okay. Bird Cage in 1972. Oh, okay. A trio. Um, and these, again, the thing about these films is that they were really dirt cheap to make. And so they always turned a big profit. And it's, 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 it's Roger Corman. Again, he was a big mentor for a lot of up and up and coming directors and filmmakers and people who wanted to learn how to make films. So a lot of people cut their teeth on these films. So some of them are like, you're like, Ooh, this is very low budget. Uh, (laughs) It's basically a white exploitation films. Uh, Mm. Yeah. Um, But it got her, she immediately, because she pops off of the screen when you see her. And yeah. these films were so successful that uh, her the place she was working for, AIP, actually offered her a contract as an actor. Excellent. That's you the know? dream. That is the dream. That's the dream. Yeah. So once the films began to be released, she her her star just catapulted. Like her star power was undeniable. Yeah. Um, and it would begin what we would call her, her run as the queen. Um, and actually as the first female action star, I think she kind of shares that with uh, Tamara Dobson who did Cleopatra Jones. Cause technically oh, yeah. Cleopatra Jones comes out before coffee and um, Foxy Brown, which is like uh, Pam Grier's two major films. But if you've ever uh, want to see Cleopatra Jones is, so good. She basically is like James Bond, but a, a six foot tall black woman. 
Yes. That's what Cleopatra Jones is, basically. Um, but that was, these are the first female action stars in film. Two black women, that's in- basically. That's incredible. We should talk about yeah. that more. Yeah. Tarantino says it's uh, Pam Greer, but technically, uh, like I said, Cleopatra Jones comes out in 73 um, before Pam's first uh, sort of foray into black exploitation film. So so after those first three and they were a big hit, she shows up in a movie called Coffee, uh, which was okay. also done by Jack Hill, the guy who, who first cast her. And in this film, she plays a nurse who seeks revenge on drug dealers. Now, her oh, character yeah. is advertised in the trailer as the baddest one chick hit squad that ever hit town. Yes. Because that's how those things worked. Yes. Um, she was basically considered the first African-American woman to headline an action film. Um, and as a protect- uh, the protagonists of previous black exploitation films were men like like uh, Shaft, yeah. Dolomite. Mm-hmm. Well, Dolomite is more of a comedy kind of thing. But, you know, um, uh, Superfly, all of those of that ilk. But she was like a woman coming in doing this. And she always carried a big ass gun. OK. Yes. Um, so Coffee came out and, and that's spelled with a C, C-O-F-F-Y. It came out in 73. Roger Ebert praised oh. Coffee. Uh, okay. And he praised the film for its its believable female lead. He noted that Pam Greer was an actress of, quote, beautiful face and astonishing form, and that she possessed a kind of physical life missing from many other attractive actresses. Yeah. Yes. She's so a natural. So just okay. three, I know. So just after three years with her first film and, and at age 24, she became a bona fide superstar. Excellent. She became so famous and she was everywhere. Because remember, this is a time where you would go to this, the film and watch the film over and over and yes. over and over and yes. over again also. Um, at the height of her popularity, she said she could even walk down the street in LA. She'd be bombarded with like 5,000 people would be following her. Wow. Like, they yeah now i want to get to foxy brown which was also released by aip okay which came out in 1974 okay. now and foxy brown if you've never seen this and foxy brown that's f-o-x-y brown uh is one of the most famous scenes where she goes to this woman called ms pimp or mrs pimp's crib <laughs> you watch the scene she literally is definitely some sexual harassment going on on this set this guy literally grabs her by the pussy like i kid you not he so Mrs. Pimp's goons are patting her down. Oh my god! And he literally grabs her by the pussy and yeah. squeezes her breasts. Oh no! Before she calls him a a gay slur. Yeah, because mm. it's okay. it's a black okay. nation from from nineteen seventy four, and this yeah. happened on camera. And I'm thinking, how many times do they have to shoot this? I mean, they may have only right. shot it once because it's black exploitation film from the seventies. Right. But it, I was just like. He literally, his hand is all up. Anyway, Mm -mm. it's very disturbing. But Mm -hmm. that's what, that is part of this kind of genre film. Now she comes in, they pat her down and he threatens to hit her. But uh, Mrs. Pimp is like, no, Uh, because she's like, I brought you something. And it's like a a bag. And Mrs. Pimp's like, bring it here. After they pat her or assault her, basically. Yeah, after they assault her. They open the bag and they're like, it looks like some sort of pickle jar in here. So they take out the pickle jar and she opens and she's looking. He was like, mm, maybe we should do something else. So they're looking at the pickle jar. And as they're looking at the pickle jar, she goes into the, she's holding up her hands, right? And she goes in the back of her Afro and she pulls out a gun <laughs> out the back of her Afro. Okay. Listen, that's very satisfying. And when, 
Mrs. Pimp or Ms. Pimp looks at the pickle jar closely, she realizes that it's it's, pee, her, right? it's Mr. Pimp's penis. And, oh, God. And she goes, ah! And she screams like, ah! <laughs> by that time, by that, Foxy Brown's taking out her gun and she just shot one man, the one man that groped her and shot the other one dead yeah. in the head. <laughs> Because right. I have the to groper. do it in the 1970s jive mm. accent. <laughs> and the lady's like, no, oh, Mrs. Pimp's like, oh, you, oh, what am I going to do? You might as well kill me. And yeah. she looks at it. She's like, no, nah, death is too easy for you, bitch. I want you to suffer. <laughs> 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 and this is, <laughs> oh, my God. If you've never seen these movies, first of all, Pam Greer has a body to die for. Her breasts are amazing. <laughs> and these women in this movie, but even those that are not Pam Greer, never seem to have on bras. Um, and their clothes come off very easily. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of just could not stay on in the 70s. I don't know could what Could not happened. stay on. Weird. Yeah. Uh, but she's like, she's so badass and she's so like moral. She's usually like getting revenge and like, but she's so gorgeous and like, it's it's very um I love the seventies because I love you jive turkey I love those I love all of that it's just it's so very great, but. satisfying to watch because it's a woman telling off these men taking the power so satisfying and it's mm. a black woman and those for yeah. when I first started going down that black exploitation rabbit hole th- trust me the the quality of the films are not that great but I mean people forget that a Black exploitation films saved a lot of the Hollywood studios, like literally saved them from oh, bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. B, black audiences didn't c- consider them exploitative. They loved them because it's the first time that they saw black leads not be like, you know, sort of docile and like, right? but like, like sticking it to the man and being like, so they love this. And it is a fun ride. You have to let go of your modern sensibilities a lot of times yeah. when you're watching these films. Um, cause there's some problematic things in it, but there's so much fun and the audiences were having a blast. So, um, cause I mean, can you imagine death is too easy for you, bitch? Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, anyway, but she, after this, so that's like the height of her powers. And then there's a lot more, um, uh, films that follow Sheba Baby follows and Friday Foster. And in all of these, she's always like the protector of somebody who's vulnerable, whether it's her sister or her brother. She's fighting against the uh, the drug uh, the drug dealers or crooked cops or crooked politicians. Um, again, she's a bona fide uh, action star and she was very, very sexy. Yeah. So, um, and she was just so cool. Like her outfit, she had this cool afro and then like leather stuff. She just I mean, looked so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, eventually, black exploitation would end. Um, so by the late 70s, it, the, the trend was uh, starting to wane a little bit. Uh, and so her movie credits became smaller. So she switched gears. Like if she's smart, you switch gears. Right. Um, her love life also switched up. Okay. And um, like I said, she's a very kind and very sweet woman. Like she is a catch for any smart man because she's not only incredibly beautiful, but she's also very intelligent. Uh, she's interested in, in reading and just, but she's also a very kind woman. Um, obviously, she didn't have a, any shortage of suitors, uh, you know, especially because the I way mean, she looked and who she was. Yeah. Some of which included Freddie Prinze. That's Freddie Prince Jr.'s father. Oh, who was a rising, um, yeah, stand-up comedian, um, 
uh, he was Puerto Rican and he was like the first like like modern Puerto Rican and maybe not even modern, but like modern, like Puerto Rican, like superstar, like okay. in comedy and like just he was very handsome young guy. Um, he he battled uh, addiction to drugs and he had some other issues. And eventually he actually committed suicide tragically. Oh. And she said he called her before that. Oof, um, they had had, you know, they had had a bit of a relationship, but she actually just felt protective of him. Like, yeah. you know, and uh, he knew he messed wow. it up because, you know, addicts going to mess it up. Yeah. Um, another addict that she was involved with, with was Richard Pryor, the like oh, uh, the right. goat uh, for stand up comedy. Um, Richard, actually, Richard and Freddie knew each other. But after his death, Freddie's death, you know, a lot of his friends bonded and and she and Richard made their way to each other. And she actually got Richard clean because Richard had always oh, really? uh, battled drugs. And she she said she bought him a bike. Her, her favorite thing was to see him riding on the bike. Uh-huh. Um, she got him into exercise because she was always into like yeah. fitness and and clean living. And, you know, she was not into drugs and she barely drank, if at all. And so he um, he did really, really well for a while. but. Of course, he fucked it up. <laughs> so, yep, um, yep. And he once he realized she was not coming, she was not going to put up with that bullshit. He he eventually ghosted her. Can you believe it? He ghosted really? her. You can't ghost yeah. Pam Greer. What do you? He crazy? ghosted Pam Greer and then showed Damn. up a few months later, married to someone else in 1977. You know what, Richard? Do you can't? Yeah, she tried, and they were together for a while. And everyone said, really? and when they were around them around that time, like Richard looked good, he was doing good, and like, um, so the love of a good woman cannot save you if you don't want, if you don't want to be saved. Yeah, if you don't want to be saved, um, exactly. Like he ghosted her and married someone else, but she said that she knew it wasn't meant to be because while they were together, she had a cancer scare. Oh, and instead of him being like supportive and going, he just kind of freaked out, and she that, knew that. No. He would not be able to show up in the way for her that she needed him to. Yep. Yep. Uh, but he shouldn't have treated her like that. But I mean, a lot of women have that story when you're dealing with uh, straight cis men. Like it's a very common story, unfortunately. Yeah, but, but like let's uh, change but that I, narrative. I, That's like not. I like how she was like, no, I wouldn't accept that in a partner. Good job. Yeah, yeah you're right. And this is what I love about her. Like she's always choosing herself, which I, I really, yes. really admire about her. Now, on the career end, uh, like I said, in the 70s, she pivoted. I mean, in the 1980s, uh, she started to pivot. In 1985, she made her theatrical uh, debut um, in the theater with Sam Shepard's Fool for Love at the Los Angeles oh. Theater Center. Yes. Um, and she main yeah, and she began mainly working in television um, okay. in yes. uh, recurring, long-term recurring roles, sometimes uh, series regular roles, but including Miami Vice. She had an uh, ongoing... Um, Role in Miami Vice, which people don't know, that was a huge. So that was like the scandal in in uh, Grey's Anatomy of its time. It was huge. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I inappropriately watched it as a small child. Yeah, it was a lot it was, of it was guns, kind of be violent, but a lot of drugs. Yeah, it was a yeah, a lot of drugs. It's a big, big show though, and she, also yeah. including the Fresh Prince, Bel Air, Night Court, and the Cosby Show, <laughs> just to name a few. Um, now, in 1988, she was diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer Oof. and was told that she had 18 months to live. Yeah. Through vigorous uh, treatment, she recovered and has since been in remission. Um, 
And but she kept working. In the 1990s, she had a series regular on the Showtime series, The L Word. Oh, yeah. um, but she felt like her career had basically stalled, and could also because she came out like gangbusters, like came yeah. out like after first after three films, she was like a bonus fide movie star. Yeah. But in 1996, director Quentin Tarantino, who had grown up during her rise as a young actress in black exploitation right. films, he called her and said he had a project for her. Uh, that he specifically wrote for her. And she was like, yeah, another white boy calling me, talking about he got something for me. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but no, he was, you know, because around that time, Quentin Tar- uh-huh. Tarantino was hot shit. Um, yep. And he made good on his promise. It was actually written exactly for her, and it was called Jackie Brown. Yep. Uh, that is a fantastic movie starring uh, Miss Pam Greer, but also Samuel Jackson gives a wonderful performance in that. Um, it's so well done because it's a nod to black exploitation films, but it's its own thing. Um, so I highly recommend you guys watch it. It's a really, really good film. It's very violent because it's Tarantino. Um, but, um, that reinvigorated her career in 1996. Basically Hollywood was like, oh yeah, we love her. (laughs) So I love um, that like eight years prior, she was told she has 18 months to live and now her career is invigorated and she's okay. Like, yep. yeah, she told that yep. bitch cancer where to suck it, you know, yep. rear. <laughs> Um, And then, uh, so she, you know, she started working and more that's regularly. Why, that's why women's health needs improvement. I'm on a PSA that. Exactly. Okay. We need to know more. That's right. We study more. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And good night. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she went on to do the reboot of the L Word as well and Law and Order SVU, uh-huh. among many, many other credits. Again, look her up. She did Google her. This Pam Green, you right. Google her. Yeah, um, IMDb. In two thousand <laughs> Yeah. In two thousand ten she wrote her memoir called Foxy, Semicolon My Life in Three Acts with Andrea Kagan. Um, okay. In 2011, she received an honorary doctorate of, hu- of humane letters from the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. Okay. Uh, that same year, she also received an honorary doctorate of science from Langston University. Um, she founded the Pam Greer Community Garden and Education Center with the National Multicultural uh, Western Heritage Museum because she's very proud of her Midwestern and Western roots. Um, awesome. The purpose was to teach people about organic gardening, health, and nutrition, among other things. Um, the museum named their first garden in her honor in 2011. Now, in 20, like I said, in 2022, the TCM um, podcast, The Plot Thickens, they um, focused on Pam's life and career in the fourth season of their podcast. That's how they do every okay. season. They focus on the either one movie or one person's career, and they focused on Pam Greer. That's fantastic. Um, now, in 2022, Miss Pam Greer was living her best life, spending most of her time in uh, at her Colorado ranch uh, with her horses or chickens and doing farm work. Um, but uh, reportedly that same year, she actually sold the property. I'm not really sure. And I've seen a couple uh, interviews of her since then for 2023, but no word on if that sale went through. I think the sale did go through, but I'm not sure if she bought okay. a bigger farm or, but she's a country girl, so I can't imagine that she yeah. would give up being out in the country completely. But she continues to work and be respected and, and just be flourishing. She, you know, she was engaged a couple of times, but she never married. Okay. And in that plot thickens, she says, I chose me. 
And I am and I'm so glad I did. So she chose yes. her, which is again, this is homage to my grandmother who always chose herself. Um yes. when it came to um not in a bad way, but like she taught me how to choose myself, my grandmother, like through her strength and through her um adversity, but also through her also through her kindness. She would give you her last and she always looked out for people. She's very nurturing, but she was also yeah. sex uh sassy and she was also foxy mm. and she was also very mm-hmm. sexy. And so that's this is right. for you, Grandma. I love you. And that's Pam Greer, my notorious woman for 2023. I love her. Listen, yeah. you are your grandma's baby. Let me tell you, because you're all of those things yeah. too. Okay. Oh, I appreciate that. But all right, guys, all right. that wraps it up for our final episode of 2023 of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things. Remember, you remember, copy the link and send it to your friend. And just copy the click link. The, the little arrow that goes up. Little arrow that yep. goes up and just send. Yep. Okay. And send it to your friend. You can also uh, support the show on Patreon.com. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Notorious Women. You can also give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. That would help people find us, but especially in the Apple Store. That'd help a lot. Thank you. Um, And then Uh Miriam, where else can they find us? Um, We're on Instagram and TikTok. It's both Notorious Women podcast. Um, find us on Instagram. Listen, I have some funny things that I've put recently. They're just like funny. Come like it because it's funny. It's a good time. Um, you can DM us on Insta, not TikTok, but you can also follow us on TikTok. Um, so many words, so little time. You can also email us at notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. We're also on YouTube, so you can listen there as well. Um, and that, I think that's that's the, the story, the whole story. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Again, guys, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, by yep. the time you're listening to this, and I have you, uh, we hope you have a wonderful New Year's as well. And we hope that um, 2024, I'm almost hesitant to say something mm. because again, like 2019, mm-hmm. we were like, yeah. 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 It's a little trauma, a little trauma. <laughs> but you know what? You must always hope. You must always yeah, hope. Don't true. let hope die. Okay. So 2024. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Yeah. Um, yes. It's going to be a good year. And on that it's note. It's going to be a good year. Yes. Okay. And on that note, we will see you guys next year. Bye-bye. Bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.